You're listening to TIP. I paid for folks and they run away with the money. There's no motivation for them to come, especially when they are doing multiple projects at the same time with other folks. Here's what happens. If you do that, you're actually not financing your job. You're financing somebody else's job because they didn't manage the cash flow accordingly in their own company. In this week's episode, I talk with Andressa Giadelli about what the Burr strategy is, how new investors can use the Burr strategy to fund real estate deals with less than 20% down, which items should be fixed during a rehab, how to find contractors, how to protect yourself from contractors, and much, much more. Andressa Giadelli is a skilled developer and asset manager with extensive experience in full gut renovation projects, new construction, and commercial development. She owns a rental portfolio comprised of both long and short-term rentals and is the go-to person when it comes to implementing processes that allow for scalability. Andressa is the co-founder and CEO of the Real Estate Invest Her community and co-host of the Real Estate Invest Her show. Now, without further ado, let's dive right into this week's episode with Andressa Giadelli. You're listening to Real Estate Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful investors from various real estate investing niches to help educate you on your real estate investing journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Real Estate 101 podcast. As always, I'm your host, Robert Leonard. And with me today, I have Andressa Giadelli. Andressa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. The biggest hurdle investors face, especially new ones, is not having enough capital to get started. One of the ways to get past this is to utilize the Burr strategy. That's B-R-R-R-R strategy. But it's kind of a chicken and egg problem. At least I see it as a chicken and egg problem. New investors don't have the knowledge, experience, or confidence to implement the Burr strategy, but they can't get that experience without having the capital. So in this episode, I want to talk through managing contractors, rehabs, and the Burr strategy to help newer investors get a bit of education and even increase their confidence so they can implement a Burr strategy to get into deals with less than 20 or 25% down. To kick off that conversation, please explain what the Burr strategy is and how it works. Sure. Simply, you buy a property that needs renovation. So you renew the property, you add value to the property, and then you rent it out, you refinance, and you do it all over again. You can pull your cash out and apply into another property. That's the basic of the Burr strategy. And you can do this as many times as you want and as creative as you want to resolve lack of issues such as lack of money, knowledge, confidence, time. You can go over and over. But one thing that I want to make sure your audience understands is we always have lack of money. Okay, Every time that we are starting or growing or pivoting our business, scaling our business, going to a different strategy, there's always will be a quote-unquote lack of money. All I want you guys to understand is that this is the game. You cannot use that as an excuse for not to get started or not to scale your business or not to grow your business. It is just part of the game. How you do it 
That is a different story that we can talk more in details. But just saying, oh, I don't have the money and I'm going to just continue working on my W-2 for the next 10 years to save money and then invest, it's just not going to cut. So there's better ways to do that. And I know that a lot of us, right, or majority of us don't learn none of this in school. So it's just a new concept. So you're basically in kindergarten of real estate. So it's just a a completely different world that we don't talk too much about. At the very beginning there, what you mentioned was the exact definition of what the BRRR of BRRRR stands for. That's buy, rehab, refinance, uh, rent, refinance, and repeat. Yes. That's exactly what that BRRRR, in case you've never heard of that in the audience, if you're listening, that's what the BRRRR acronym stands for. If someone is purchasing a property that requires a rehab, there is likely no shortage of things that could be fixed. Some may be needs, while others are wants, and some may provide significant value, while others are just money pits. When someone is looking to acquire a property to burr, how can they determine which items should be fixed and which ones should be skipped when creating their scope of work? It's very simple, actually, but it requires a lot of effort prior of you even looking at a property. Right, that is too late when you're just there and they're like trying to figure it out and you already bought the property. So, before you even buy a property, right, I would like your audience to go out to open houses and see what they're seeing. Look around, but I, I want you to look with different types of eyes, right? When you go inside the bathroom, look at the type of fixtures, the type of tile, tub, everything, what's going on around. Do they have finished basement, garages, roof decks? What is it in that property, right? Where most of the laundry is located, all of it. And then I want you to observe those that sold quicker or being rented quicker, depending on your strategy. Look at those that sold or rented extremely fast and look at the pictures. You will see a commonality among them. So that is exactly what you're going to do. You're going to look at your competition, not your competition, but your referral references and really copy that. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. I'm not a designer. I am not. I am a real estate investor, plain and simple. I put money in and I want the money back. That's for a return, right? It's very simple. So if you are like, I want to spend time here designing it and picking a tile, a chandelier, or whatever it is, your ARV or after repair value needs to be super high for you to spend time on it. If it is just an in and out three month, four month rehab here in Philadelphia, depending on where it is, is very simple. 1500 square feet house, three to one bedrooms and baths, in and out, right? I won't spend the time. I have been using the same pink color since 2011. And I always get the same answer, uh, the same feedback from people. Oh, I love this pink color. It's not gray. It's not green. It's kind of like sage. I was like, yep. And I love it. Yep. I know that you do. And all the other people that bought my houses before also did love it. So go for it. And when you are doing it, I want you guys to start creating this finishes list. Go create the finishes list, which is like your item. Let's say I bought this faucet here. Here's the link where I got the faucet, the price, the quantity, the picture of it. Because guess what? On your other rehab, the next one, 
you don't need to do it all over again. You just go to your Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever account you have and you order all those things again. Save a lot of time. Do you think people don't do that because let's just say they do five deals, not necessarily sick of seeing that color, but they think like they're so used to seeing that color. They're like, oh, I need to switch it up. But what they don't realize is that you have mostly have different buyers for every property. So it's brand new to them. It's not new to you, but it's new to them. Exactly. I'm sick and tired of the color, to be quite honest, right? Sick and tired of the color. If another color comes up, great. But this is a business. I don't need to like it. The buyers like it. And if a property is so prior of being done and it's happening over and over again, and I keep getting the same feedback over and over again about certain tiles, certain finishes, right? In the bathroom, the kitchen. I'm just going to repeat that. I'm going to obviously look at the trend, what's going on, change the color of the cabinet. Absolutely. Give a little differentiator with a backsplash, 100%. That doesn't take too much of time, but I'm not going to redesign every single property. That is insane amount of time. People need to think about the cost of the rehab, not in terms of the money itself, right? There is a monetary amount that goes for it, but also there is a lot of time that goes for it and a lot of energy. So add all those three and that's your final cost. I don't need thing that takes a lot of my time. Why? If I need to repeat the same thing over and over again, I should create a standard operating procedure for that. So somebody else does it. I don't need to order all this stuff again at Home Depot. My team does. There's no need for my brain, my energy to be there. And if you're sick of the color, like you mentioned, you don't have to paint your house that color. You're going in these investment properties, right? It's not your house. Exactly. It is just part of doing business, right? Think about people that sell pizza or sandwich, right? They are probably sick and tired of seeing cheese pizza, but they keep selling cheese pizza. Think about that. Investors is the same thing. It's the same thing. Find what's working around your neighborhood. That what it's selling quicker will determine what is your benchmark. Because the worst thing that you can do is to put your taste there that you think is amazing. And I've seen bathrooms from like hat to toe everywhere, tile everywhere. It doesn't sell. People don't like that at least here in Philadelphia, right? I don't know. If you're in Italy, maybe, yeah. But here, not so much. So look what's going on around. And if I go to another state, let's say I went to Texas a couple of years ago, and I was looking at my friend's house. They had this texture on the walls, and I don't know if there is still there, right? I was like, what about this texture? She was like, all the houses here have this. I was like, I would never know. So if I were to do something there, I'll do that texture. So it's what is working in your market. You need to study your market. Investors lose money in over rehab because they don't take time to study the market. They don't do their due diligence. They don't do a lot of work that needs to be done prior of even you start looking inside a house. There is a lot of work that needs to be done because if you don't do that, if you don't know your market, you don't know what exactly you're looking for, you're going to be spending a lot of time going inside houses that don't fit your criteria at all. So don't even go inside. If the outside criteria don't make sense, financial sense, I mean, don't even waste your time going inside checking a house. We're talking about the design a bit here, but I'm curious from a fundamental perspective, are there general items that typically add value and then others that are money pits? I know, like you said, tile, 
tile might not work where you are, but it might be great in Italy versus some of the stuff on the walls in Texas might be okay, but not where you are. So I get the design perspective, but yes. I'm thinking about the rehab items. Is it universal Absolutely. in a sense? Like people love really nice bathrooms. If Is it universal mm-hmm. across the US that people want nice bathrooms and nice kitchens and you need certain things? Or is that kind of even more specific to your market? Sure. I think bathrooms and kitchens, I would dare to say that is universal. I don't know if there is somebody that already confirmed that, did a thesis on it, but I think it's needless to say, if you are going to improve certain areas of your property, bathrooms and kitchens, right? But if we go to take a step back and go to the nitty gritty, right? We are looking into the HVAC system, the plumbing and the electrical. That's very, very important, right? Sometimes It's just a matter of, I'll get technical here a little bit, but don't get confused, people. So let's say you have an 100 amp panel. It's a very small panel, very used in the past. Nowadays, we have many, many more devices that goes into it. None of my houses can have that, right? It won't support. So I always, I personally always take that out, install a new 200 amp panel. So that is something. The areas that I am rehabbing, they require central air. So I don't have a choice. I need to do a full gut. Probably the houses over here are are very old. That's what it requires. Now, I can totally add a lot of value because the houses are very next to each other and there's no much space. I can create more space by finishing up my basement, by adding a roof stack. Of course, I need to look at the regulations in zoning the local areas, of course. But those are something that certain things that add value here, right? Finish basement, garage, it would be amazing, right? Certain other areas of the country, not so much because they have space. So garage is like, yeah, everybody has two-car garage in a driveway. Over here, that's not the case. So a garage will totally add value. A basement and roof deck would add a, a ton of value. Certain areas, maybe a pool is really necessary because of the hot weather. Look at that air, what's going on around. There are clues. You don't need to really do much. See what's selling around. What did they do to increase value? Look at how much did they purchase a property and how much they sold the property for. You already have all the comps there, right? One thing that I would say. Investors need to be as good or even better than running comps as appraisers. That is how things go. If you were to sell this property today, today in this market, don't count appreciation, don't count the craziness that is going on around the market. Run your numbers as you're selling it today. And whatever comes along in the next four, six months that you're going to be ready to sell, that's gravy. And you're investing mostly in the Philly area. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Do you invest anywhere outside of Philly? Well, we have larger apartment complex. We actually closed one yesterday in Kentucky and North Carolina. Congratulations. Thank you. So you're not doing just flips. You're doing some larger rental properties as well? Yes. This was a 640 unit apartment complex. Yeah. Are you burring those as well? No, no. We're holding those for about five, average five, seven, 10 years. This one was 10 years. 
Are you buying them with? Are they pretty much rent ready or are you having to do some rehab? No, we're going to, our team is going to do a lot of adding value to the properties. It's a big time add value. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. All right, back to the show. Once it's been determined which items should be addressed and which ones shouldn't, how do you actually find someone to handle that work? What are you looking for that indicates a contractor or a handyman is someone you would want to work with or not? My jobs require general contractors because of the extensive of the work, right? It's always good to have two or three crews, but I understand it's very rare to do that. So your level of rehab will determine the level of the GC. You don't want somebody at GC that is really, really good at new construction doing some turnaround for your rentals. And you also don't want your handyman handling a full gut job. So you got to do a match here. This type of project, this scope of work matches with this general contractor. Needless to say, you can totally see when you look at the properties that you're visiting around you can see who did the work. Over here, we look at the, who pulled the permit. I can tell, right? By looking around, you can tell by the detail, how this person was detail-organized. 
you will know who pulled the permit for. And I'm saying this, but it's weird. You hope that they all pull the permit. If they didn't pull the permit, that property, that's a red flag. But I, I'm sure people are doing what they're supposed to. But looking at the permit, you can get the electrical, the plumbing, the HVAC guy, everybody. So if you see that, okay, they did a great job over here, took very good care of this house, and it sold very quickly. Who did this job? You can find contractors like that, lots of referrals, meetups, local meetups in RIAs are very, very important. The investor meetups, we have right now 56 plus across the country in Canada. And that's where you're going to meet other people. Say, listen, this is what I'm looking to do. Do you have any referral? And really, please take care of the referrals. Anybody that refers somebody to me, I don't play with them because if somebody is referring GC to you, they know how much that is. Sometimes I say I do not have any referrals because I do not know that person and I don't want to burn the bridge with my GC. I only refer people when I know the GC and I know the person that I'm referring to because then nobody's wasting anybody's time. And they do not come with guarantees, right? So there are some red flags that you can see it. You can schedule time to meet them at their property first, one of their projects first, because you want to see what's going on in their property. It's going to tell you a lot. If you visit any project they are currently working, you can see what's going on around, how they're taking care of it. What is the vibe? What is the energy that their employees are given? Uh, they have all uniforms or they're just like food everywhere and just like a mess or there's nobody working there in plan like three o'clock or 10 p.m. Nobody working. It's a problem. I'll never meet during lunch because then everybody's having lunch. I don't have the information that I need. So I meet at that time. During the meeting, you can tell a lot. Did this person arrive on time? Guess what? If the person did not arrive on time, did not give you a heads up, that's exactly what's going to happen in your project. right? So I like when people respect my time because I respect their time as well. And it's very important. At the beginning of my career, I was like, okay. I guess he got late. And then late, 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 late. And then my project was late and my profit was lower. It's just a snowball, one action. You're looking for behaviors, like constant behaviors, and they are vetting you as much as you're vetting them. So be prepared. Know exactly what you want and what you don't want there. It's not that you're going to tell them, oh, listen, this is what it is. You can share, listen. I have a scope of working mind. I would like to walk through with the property. Feel free to make recommendations and we can come up with a scope of work that we both agree to, right? But they might say, oh, I think we should just pull this wall over here because or whatever. Say, ah, no, that's not on the budget. Let's just keep that wall over there. So it's a lot of back and forth, but it's a waste of their time if they come and say, I don't have an idea what I want over here. Maybe... You didn't do your due diligence. You don't even know if you want three bedrooms or two bedrooms. You got to have your mindset over there and make their job easier. If you have all the finishes picked, great. They don't need to pick anything. And they can estimate your job much quicker if you have all the finishes already selected. They know what you mean when you say you talk about the hardware. They know the level that you're talking about. When I started to do my first burr deals, I was doing these long distance and it was important for me to have a real estate agent who was also an investor because I felt the same exact way that you do about referrals in that you don't want to burn those bridges. And so I said, okay, well, 
if I can find a real estate agent who is an investor, if they give me referrals to people, and I knew he owned the agent that I ended up going with, I knew he owned a couple dozen rentals himself in the area. So I said, okay, well, I can ask him for referrals. And if he gives me referrals, I know they're probably going to be pretty high quality because he's not going to want to burn those bridges. He has them work on his own properties. And also we kind of can use our weight, even though we haven't done a lot of work deals with them. If they do bad for us, the GC or or whoever it is, electrician, plumber, they know that we would probably tell our agent and that's not going to do well for all the business that he brings in. So is this kind of win-win-win situation around is if you can get really good referrals, whether it be at a meetup group, bigger pockets, or you know, your real estate agent, any way that you can get referrals, I think that's a great source. Absolutely. Rock stars, no rock stars, right? So if you have a great drywall person, they know a great painter and vice versa. I always like my HVC plumber and electrician to know each other. So they get along and they don't cut each other's <laughs> you know, pipes and anything to make their way through. It's very important to me. And sometimes you pay a little bit more for it, but I'm okay with that because it's reliable and it's consistent work. Then I'm thinking about the other projects that are not going to you know, take it's like, oh, same thing as the prior one here, nothing different, same finishes. It makes the job much, much easier, right? But as you're saying, networking is extremely important, but mindful networking, you cannot just go to all the meetings and doing online virtual events and just like exchange business card, quote unquote, right? Like really intentional, looking for what you're offering, what you bring to the table, what you can serve other people too, instead of just quote unquote, picking their brain or getting referrals, right? Ask them, what do you need? And I can see if there is any way that I can help. So I recommend when you go to conferences, really try to meet high level people not quantity, focus on the quality of people, of those networking and mindful events. We have a conference coming up in June and we are focusing on mindful networking. It's not just like, oh, what do you do? Well, obviously I'm an investor, right? So we can skip that part. So go for what you bring to the table, what you're looking for and what you can collaborate instead of just picking people's brains. In today's environment, Really good contractors are hard to come by, but they're also just super busy. And even if you get referrals, sometimes that referral is is busy and can't necessarily help you out. I've had that be the case mm-hmm. sometimes. So what I've relied on is is just using Google reviews or any other type of review that I can find online of this person or the contractor. Have you had any success with relying on third party review sites to kind of gauge the value of a contractor? Not really. I did not. And that does mean, right, that I won. But so far, no. I go directly and I make my own review. I make my own process. I go to their project. Then if it's a good match, I invite them to come to my project. And then during the walkthrough, everything I'm observing, right? Are they taking pictures? Are they asking questions? Are they engaging with me as a team member? Are they in the boat with me here trying to figure out how we're going to do this together? Are they taking measurements? If they say, oh, I'll send you an estimate in three, four days and I don't hear back from them. Or again, an estimate that is completely off with wrong information, with missing pieces and right? They give you a clue. They gave you clues all throughout. We just see it or we just ignore them. 
And I tell you, you're going to attract the level of contractors in general that you are prepared to handle. Sometimes you get contractors that are just going to teach you a ton of lessons. And you either learn that lesson or it's going to keep happening over and over again. When you establish your criteria, your boundaries, then you start attracting and selecting people that are not going to give you headaches. My non-negotiable is being on time. Simple as that. One of mine, right? I have others, but one of mine is being on time. And sometimes I was like, man, I really like that person. Why he was late? Now, not going to cut. It's not that I don't think about traffic and things that happen, people. I do. My thing is, if I know that I'm going to be late, I see it. I can tell, right? I can do math on my phone. I call that person and say, listen, I'm hitting a ton of traffic here. I will be late. That's what I'm expecting. It's about the communication. Now, if you're constantly late, then it's over because it's just a behavior across the board. And I just don't work that way. And it might work with other people that might be more flexible. But I personally, I think you can waste my money. But when you waste my time, that's a big problem for me. I'm looking for similar types of characteristics about contractors. But what I like to do is Especially if it's not coming from a referral, it's a little different. But if it's not coming from a referral and I have to find them myself, I tend to try to just work with the ones that have good online reviews. So like if I have five to seven different contractors I could work with, say there's five or seven different electricians in the area, I'm not going to invite out the ones that have one or two star reviews. But if there's four or five of them that have a ton of four and five star reviews, those are the ones that I would then invite out, kind of just save myself some time from dealing with the ones that historically don't have good reviews. Because like you said, if people are late consistently or they do certain work for other projects, that's going to continue for you. And so I feel the same way about online reviews. I just try to shorten that process for me by just bringing out the ones that already have really good reviews. At what point do you think, I guess in terms of the level of severity in a project, do you need to hire a GC versus acting as the GC yourselves? I think as an investor, we could hire the plumber, the electrician, the flooring guy, the finish guy. You know, We could hire all these people ourselves, or we could just hire a GC. At what point do we need a GC instead of doing it ourselves? In Philadelphia, the type of work that I do, I do not have the right to do that. I have to hire a GC, and the GC needs to hire everybody else. You always think, but I understand there are other locations where that's possible, right? It comes down to what do you want in five years? Do you want to become a GC? How much time does it take? Do you have the personality, the skill set, and time required to manage projects? When I say personality, and I mean it, for all everybody that hasn't done personality tests, please do so you know what you're really good at and things that you should not be doing whatsoever. Many people should not be managing projects. They just, it's not in them. They rather talk to sellers, be a report, and having conversations with people. Managing projects is, you got to be thinking two weeks ahead all times, high in organization. Many times you got to be rough with the conversations that you'll have with them. If you are afraid that people are going to, oh, I don't know how to have that conversation, or I'm just gonna not going to have it, you're not the right person to do it. And I don't mean be rude or anything like that. You just need to find the rhythm with the people that you work with. 
But if you're just that friendly butterfly, right? It's not going to work. I'm telling you right now, your project probably is going to go over time, over budget, and a lot of things are happening at the end. Really understand how much time do you have available to provide to the project. If you put systems and processing in place, the other operating procedures, that time gets shortened as you go along, as you continue doing projects with the same people, much less. But as you're building, that's a lot of time and effort that you need to put into it. At the beginning, I was doing five and at some point, 15 projects at the same time. I had no other choice but systems and process in place. No longer desired to do that. I just don't have the time to do that. And I want to work with high-level GCs that require very, very little management. They can make a call on things and I don't care. I want to get resolved. I no longer care about the details of certain things. Still the same high quality, the tile, the mechanicals need to look very, very sharp. And I have no problem getting a hammer and hammering a drywall to say, you got to replace the entire thing. This patching work over here did not work. And if I can see a buyer can see it too. And when the buyer sees it and you're going to say, what else did they cut corners, right? I don't cut corners. There is only one way to do things, the right way and do it. Do it the right way. And I go from there. What are your favorite personality tests that people listening should go take? My favorite one is called print, but this is very advanced. I will highly recommend, it's called personality index assessment. Kobe is another one. The most common one is DISC. So there are a couple of different ones, but I think that personality is a very underrated tool that we need to really understand. So we know if we're the right person for the right seat. And our partners are very good partners to us. You don't want to partner up with somebody that is bringing the same thing that you are to the table. That's a big, big time mistake. Then we're both bringing the same thing to the table. There's no leveraging whatsoever. Or you're managing projects where you shouldn't at all. And if you're not playing the arena where you're leveraging your strengths, you're really costing a lot of money to your company. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. 
You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport leads by example. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability and combines assertive on-road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet and redefines sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, which offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can also enjoy a dynamic drive in total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. One concern investors have when working with contractors, especially as a new investor, is that they might get ripped off. There are various different ways that this could happen. So how do you protect yourself from getting ripped off by contractors? There's no guarantees, right? It's all about even prior, all the things, the conversations that you do prior of giving the first check. That's what it comes down to. So when you're signing a contract, you must have a payment plan attached to the contract. The payment plan describes exactly what the payments are related to. What do I mean by that? Okay. When you finish drywall, painting, or whatever it is, there is a number attached to that. This way, that's how banks work, right? Banks will not give me a draw until certain phases are completed. So if I'm using a a bank, a hard money lender, my own cash, I don't care. I use the same process. So we agree to a scope of work. That scope of work, it's converted into a payment plan. So there is a deposit and usually five phases and then the punch list, the final. And there's values attached to that. And that can be flexible. Let's say, oh, I had 8,000 for concrete, but the weather was really not good for this here. So we're going to pass concrete in another phase because it didn't work over here. So not because concrete is on phase one that you're going to for sidewalk, not for foundation, for sidewalk, for example, that you need to pay that. You only pay for things that were completed and installed. If the windows were delivered to your property were not installed, that means it's not completed. When they are installed, then it's completed. So it's very simple. So Miss or Mr. GC, do we agree that everything I'm going to make payments on things that are 100% completed? And then here's what happens. You will know very, very quickly if the general contractor is running a business as a business or not. Because people that are running are running a business, they have cash flow and capital enough to start the other phase, the following phase, before you even pay for the phase one. 
you don't want to work with people that are waiting for that to start the other phase. They cannot order the kitchen cabinets because they're still waiting for phase one. That's a problem. You don't want to fund anybody's business and vice versa. So it's very important that they have this schedule really attached to the, to the payment plan. So all of those are conversations to have prior of giving the deposit. And the deposit changes. It's not like this fixed thing. It's all negotiable, right? I always look, okay, what will be done with this deposit? If I have a property that is a shell, there's no need for demolition or nothing. It's very different than a property that there's like hoarders who are living there and there's a ton of things that need to be done, right? The deposit will be different. So always look for what is going to be done with that money. I think that's really important for everybody listening to hear because I think a lot of contractors require or try to require upfront payments or a significant amount upfront, 50% or 75% upfront. So I think it's important for everybody listening to hear what you're just talking about in terms of not paying until 100% has been completed. Yeah. And I did learn that in my first deals, I paid for folks and they run away with the money. There's no motivation for them to come, especially when they are doing multiple projects at the same time with other folks. Here's what happens. If you do that, you're actually not financing your job. You're financing somebody else's job because they didn't manage the cash flow accordingly in their own company. So they're getting bitter to pay Paul and vice versa. So it's a never ending thing. So you got to establish all those nitty gritty situations prior of signing the contract. Have those conversations prior. Have those conversations prior. You don't want to start having conversations about payment plan after. I'm guessing that you are able to compete with homeowners in terms of getting contractors to do work for you because of how much volume you're doing. But I'm thinking about a little bit smaller volume or smaller investors who are doing their first burr, or they're maybe going to do one burr a year or two burrs a year, maybe. So they're doing much, much less volume. How does somebody like that, a newer investor just getting started, how do they compete with homeowners who need the same type of work done? Because generally speaking, homeowners are willing to pay the GCs and these contractors mm-hmm. more money than an investor is for their same project. So how do we compete with those types of competition? Usually the general contractors that I work with don't work with homeowners. They don't have the patience for, it, for them. They change their mind. There's a lot of customization. So we're not talking about the same folks, right? I think it's a lot, a lot of average. You've got to interview more people and find what is the match for you. You won't be able to pay for folks. It's a retail. It's always higher. But you might not be looking for the same type of GC that they're looking. You might come across people, but you got to find where are the GCs for investors hanging or how can you get referrals, local meetups, conferences, where the investors are. You've got to talk to other investors to get those referrals. If you go to your aunt and ask her who did her kitchen, guess what? The price of your kitchen is going to be astronomical because it's a retail price. That's not what you want. And I moved to a new house and I look at a couple of kitchen companies over here. It's just ridiculous. I was like, I know how much all of those things cost. Your profit is tremendous. Tremendous. It's not even a possibility that I could work with those companies. 
you gotta look for folks that are already providing services for investors that they know what the deal is. A key factor in successful bird deals is the appraisal that comes on the back end. If that appraisal comes in lower than expected when the analysis was done on the front end, the investor might have more money stuck in the deal than they expected. If the investor does receive an appraisal that is lower than they expected, how can they challenge that appraisal? My first challenge, I didn't even know that this was not a thing, right? That people were not going to challenge it. So the first thing that you got to do if it comes lower than what you expected is request a copy of the appraisal report from the bank. And then you're going to dissect it. Dissect it every single line. Check the number of bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage, location, every single thing, every single picture and find the mistakes. That's basically what I had to do, find the mistakes. In our case, they miss a bedroom. They, the square footage was off. It was just all over the place. He was using comps that were really far away from a completely different neighborhood. So I created my own report. And that does not mean that, okay, then the bank's going to like swap it and then go for it, right? That's not the case. The goal is to say, listen, I found a couple of things over here. You always need to build a report with appraiser. When they come to your property, have all your information printed for them, the comps that you use, break down the rehab, everything, everything, and then send an email with everything too. Because many of them are going to take a ton of pictures, but I doubt that they have like a specific folder with your property's name on it where they're uploading automatically all those pictures as they go. So at the end of the day, they saw, I don't know, three properties, four properties. I'm not sure how many properties they see it. And there's a lot of freaking confusion if they don't dump all that information that day over there, right? So if you provide clear information about your property, you're helping them to do the right job square footage, numbers of bedrooms, and on the pictures, you, you label it bedroom number one, bedroom number two. So then they can compare with their pictures. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done prior to avoid that to happen. But if that happens, you talk to the person again and say, listen, I found a couple of things here. Would you mind taking a look at this report that I put together with some thoughts? And if you already build a report with them, it's very likely that they are going to see it. Or if there are clear mistakes, say, listen, I saw there was missing. One of the bedrooms were missing. So I'm going to send you a report. Would you mind taking a look? And then we can catch up and adjust accordingly and then go from there, right? The first one, they raised my appraisal to $25,000. And I was able to pull a HELOC of $68,000. That $68,000 propelled me to invest again and again. And I have done this a couple of times. I think I'm closer to $300,000 that was not available to me. And I dissected and I was able to get all that back. One of the other ways to get past not having enough capital as a new investor is to partner with someone else on a deal. But not everyone is interested in that. Some investors see it as a way to combine two people who don't have enough capital alone so that they can get a deal done, while others have no interest in partnerships because they don't want to split the profits. Why do you encourage investors to embrace partnerships in real estate? To leverage. 
leverage their time, their money, their skill sets. The biggest problem is that when somebody that does not have experience come to an investor who has experience, you need to understand what is the problem that this investor has that you're solving. You need to add something to the table. Otherwise, it's not going to cut. So you're not bringing the experience. You're not bringing the money. So what are you bringing? Bring the deal. Bring the deal to the table. And my first deal that I brought to an investor that we did several deals together, I brought the deal to the table to him. He had the experience and he had the financing for it. As I said, I had $68,000. That was not going to cut to do that project. It was a burnt house. And then I said, listen, let's go for it. And I was really, really like on point in terms of observing every single thing that he was talking to the GCs, every single meeting that he was with the GC, I was there too, observing, observing, observing. I gained a lot of money. A lot of money? No, a lot of time and experience by just observing what was happening there. At the end, I think I made $7,000 because my split was very little because I did not bring too much to the table at that time. And right now I look back, I was like, oh my gosh, that was like a harsh split. Well, it was not. Don't expect to say to a, an investor, oh, bring the deal to the table. You have all the cash, all the experience. So let's go 50-50. That's not going to cut. I don't care if I make zero. If I was an experienced investor, I can make zero. I don't care. I care about what I'm going to learn from this person. All the things that they're going to see it that, oh, oh, all of that. It's a daily lesson. You're in school, basically, when you're doing that. And all the information that I gained from this investor, I was able to go to the second and third project with him. And then I took over the management because I already knew what needed to be done. And he trusted me to take over that portion. And then my split started increasing until the point that I was like, okay, I don't need that anymore. Because then it reversed, right? Now I have the experience and I have the cash too. So what are we bringing to the table here? And each partnership evolves. You got to understand what each person is bringing to the table. If you don't have anything to bring to the table, I ask you to think again. We always have something to bring to the table. Skill sets from other professions, anything, boots on the ground, anything. Investors that have experience have two problems. It's the deal flow and time. So how can you resolve that? When looking for a partner, what questions should someone ask the other person to help determine if it's a good fit? Well, we got asked this very, very much. So we actually put together a partnership sheet with questions you should ask yourself, questions your partner should ask themselves, and questions you should answer together because there's a ton of them, right? You guys can go to therealestateinvestor.com slash giveaway, and you can download that for free. But in a nutshell, you really have to have like, okay, if we partner up together, partner up on this deal and going forward together, what are your goals? What are you looking for? What are you good at? What are you not so good at? What are our expectations here? How about if we go over budget, over the schedule? If the property doesn't sell, if you get hit by a buzz, if I get hit by a buzz, if both of us get hit by a buzz at the same time, what happens? So all of those conversations is very important to have it. And many people don't want to have those conversations because they're sometimes they're like, eh, it's uncomfortable. 
I'd rather have them than go through different harsh partnerships that had to be break in the middle of the project because it really was not working. So that's harder, much harder. So I would highly recommend to have those conversations prior. Not only in business or real estate partnerships, but in any partnership or relationship, resentment can be a big issue. How do real estate partners stop resentment in their partnership? Checking in, right? It's always like a checking in. My business partner, Liz and I, we build a real estate investor community, only able to do that because we really trust each other and put what we call money in the bank in our relationship. What does that mean is that we have weekly meetings and level 10 meetings in a weekly basis. And then we have strategic meetings in a monthly basis where we answer to ourselves and to each other, what is working, what is not working. You've got to be honest. You've got to be honest. I don't care what is it, right? You've got to share what is working, what is not working in terms of business, communication, money, all of it, all of it. We have different areas in our company as we grow. So we have teams that we need to talk about what is working, what is not working with different team members. It's much bigger than before, but we started very little. We started with our podcast, The Real Estate Investor Show with $630 investment. So we started very little with one podcast, one meetup, and our projects in the back end because we're investors, right? So it's having that trust and putting money in the bank is that you're spending time with that person and getting to know that person in completely different levels. So when things hit the fan, right? When there's a breakdown, you have money in the bank, meaning you can do a draw over here. People, partnerships don't fail because think about you're going to the bank and you have zero balance there and you're trying to redraw a thousand bucks. There's no money there. So if there isn't trust with that person, did not spend time, did not build a relationship with that person, there's nothing to hold back. You will break. You will break. And don't expect partnerships to always be you know, rainbows and sunshine. That doesn't happen. But what you do when things go south is like, okay, what can we take responsibility over here? What are the things that we're going to improve and move forward? What do we need to you know, shake over here in order for this to not not happen, right? But what are the lessons that we are learning from this situation? If you don't do this in a consistent basis, there's no way you can grow a multi-million dollar company, neither build a team. Andressa, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing all your knowledge with me and the audience. For those listening that are interested in connecting with you more after this episode, where's the best place for them to go to find you? Sure. You guys can find more information about The Real Estate Investor at therealestateinvestor.com or follow us on Instagram at The Real Estate Investor. And I would love to invite you guys to join us on June 23rd and 24th for InvestorCon 2020, we have five amazing keynotes led by Kim Kiyosaki coming to Charlotte, North Carolina. And we have over 20 sessions, the best of the best in real estate. They're going to be there. All the women that you've seen it from short-term rentals to out-of-state investing, those women are walking the walk. So I would love for you guys 
If you're listening, join it. It's going to be a full circle transformation experience. This is not going to be the traditional real estate conference. We're pushing the boundaries on this one. So I, I enjoy I ask you to check the website, therealestateinvestor.com slash investor con for more information about the agenda. That sounds like an awesome event. I will be sure to put a link to that event, some of your other resources, your website, podcast, social media, everything else that we've talked about throughout the show, the personality test in the show notes below for anybody that's interested in checking them out. Andressa, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, guys. That's all I had for this week's episode of Real Estate Investing. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin, and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts, or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.